Why the Ball's Critique is Correct, September the 2nd, 2010. Ed Balls is not going to become leader of the Labour Party, but as an economist, he deserves our attention. I say this not because he is a former Financial Times colleague. As advisor to Gordon Brown, he played a big role in two huge decisions, granting independence to the Bank of England and rejecting Euro membership. Yet, above all, his critique of the coalition's policy is basically right. This is not a minor matter. If the government were wrong on its gamble on recovery through retrenchment, the result would be a disaster for the country, not to mention the coalition itself. Economics offers no certainties. The bet that the UK can cut its way to prosperity may yet pay off if the confidence fairy sprinkles enough magic dust. Yet growth has to be achieved despite a structural fiscal tightening averaging 1.6% of gross domestic product a year over five years. I consider this a foolhardy bet. So does Mr. Balls. In his argument against what he calls the growth deniers, he makes two fundamental points. First, time and again conventional wisdom on macroeconomic policy has proved misguided. And second, the propositions advanced by the Chancellor are wrong. Those are that Labour is entirely responsible for the current mess, that the demand for fiscal consolidation from the markets is overwhelming, that the plan for a deficit reduction will generate sustainable growth, and that those who disagree are deficit deniers who would wreck recovery. I will ignore Labour's culpability, which I looked at on May 13, 2010. On confidence... Mr. Bowles argues that promises of unending austerity do not add to confidence, but undermine it. It is not at all surprising, therefore, that spreads over German interest rates remain very elevated for Greece, Portugal, Ireland and Spain. What makes these cases different from that of the UK is that the latter has the freedom to pursue demand-supporting monetary and fiscal policies. Eurozone members are forced to deflate their way to competitiveness. Markets rightly doubt this is going to happen. Yet the market is screaming its lack of concern about UK fiscal credibility. UK government 10-year bonds are yielding 2.9%, and the real interest rate on index-linked bonds is below 1%. Yes, markets can be wrong, but these are the most liquid and transparent markets of all. Moreover, those now doubting the wisdom of markets are the strongest believers. Why do they have these doubts? Furthermore, there is no sign of crowding out of private spending by government borrowing. Finally, UK government debt is long-term, with an average maturity of 14 years and denominated in the domestic currency. We are terrified of a confidence bogey who is asleep. On growth, Mr Ball states that, I quote, I would like the Chancellor to point to the precedent from British economic history, which says that, with slowing growth in our main trading partners and companies deleveraging, it is possible for public sector retrenchment to stimulate private sector growth and job creation. End of quote. An influential paper by Alberto Alessina and Silvia Adagna of Harvard University argues that deficit reduction via spending cuts, is associated with growth and declining ratios of debt to GDP. But analysis from the Roosevelt Institute counters that seldom, and I quote, are countries able to cut successfully during a slump, and this happens only when either interest rates and or the exchange rate falls sharply, end of quote. UK interest rates are already at the floor, 
Ironically, the greater the confidence in George Osborne, the less likely Sterling is to fall. The Office for Budget Responsibilities forecasts seem remarkably optimistic on the ability of net exports and business investment to offset the fiscal contraction. But I would also stress the sheer uncertainty as indicated in its probability fan charts. How would the government respond if its plans generated a recession, as is possible and, in my view, probable? I have no idea. It will presumably rely on the Bank of England. There are reasons to doubt whether the latter would be very effective. So what, finally, are the alternatives? Mr Balls agrees that, and I quote, Labour does need a credible and medium-term plan to reduce the deficit and to reduce our level of national debt, but only once growth is fully secured and over a markedly longer period than Mr Osborne is currently planning, end of quotes. Reasonable people can argue about how fast those cuts should be and when they should begin. I am more hawkish than Mr Balls. Reasonable people can differ too over how much of the deficit reduction should come from tax rises instead of spending cuts. Yet Mr Balls is right on two central points. First, a parliamentary term is a political reality, not an economic one. And second, plans for cuts must respond to the economy itself. The Treasury view of the 1930s is back. If the government could not borrow, then there would indeed be no alternative. But it does, so there is. Mr Balls is quite right to say so. He is right, too, to warn of the risks. The economic hurricane, he foretells, might arrive rather soon.